do you know what makes makes a pretty building in real estate? We both fell for it hook, line, and sinker. And he says, it's one that pays for itself. Just think of that. She's got to pay for itself. Doesn't matter how it does it. She's got to pay for itself. And uh, the other thing he said, he said, if you if you if you're fortunate enough, what you want to do is hit a home run the first time, and then you can do doubles and triples. <laughs> Good evening, good morning, good afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Welcome back to Social Convos. I'm your host, Diego, together with my co-host, Jean-Luc. Jean-Luc, how have you been? I've, I've just wrote five PHSA for our executive assistant on how to schedule my calendar for the next five or three months. I've been like, I'm going on a rampage. I've cooked a meal for my, for my family today. I did exercise. I followed all. I'm. I'm in a. I'm in. You're a glowing. Experience. You're glowing. Yes, you're, I'm. You're I'm, I'm really thing. glowing, and I'm. I'm just like how, how. Before I go to our guest, how about yourself? I've been doing pretty good. I'd say today. I, I guess last weekend was pretty fun. I had a birthday party to attend. Had some fun, fun activities as well, and yeah, not much different. Just going through the daily motions. But I'm glad we're back here. So today's going to be a fun episode. I guess with everything going on in the world, getting a decent perspective I, I, might be a good uh, change of pace. So why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? Yeah, we're, we're going to have some, some senior advice. Like it's one of the things people always tell us. Talk with people who have been through life, who have experienced a lot. And I think today's guest is kind of the definition of a lifelong learner because he's here on a podcast with us. He's probably the oldest guest we've had so far in age. I don't think in mindset. In mindset, he might be one yeah. of the youngest. And exactly. I was just about to mention just the five minutes before going on. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. So much and I think, I think he has one of the things that I, when I grew up, you're like, you're like, there are certain things that you look forward when you see other people and you're like, I hope I get to that phase of life. Wait, did did you gonna, say just... When I grow up at this stage in your life. Yes, yes, exactly. So he, he has something in his life that I really want when I get older. And we've been talking about this, especially for those who are familiar with Suriname and, and the Netherlands often. It's like, yeah, one part of the year, I want to be there. And the other part of the year, I want to be there. So in the winter, I want to be in Suriname because then it's, it's warm, it's it's cozy you can take your shirt off and walk outside and then in the summer you want to be in europe or somewhere where there's festivals where there's fun things going on and it's not like exactly our guest does that but he does something similar because in the winters he's in california and he's like there's no winter for me i'm in california it's fine it's it's lovely and then in the summers he's he's either traveling or in, in portland which is it's, it's exactly what, what I, I've envisioned myself when I get older to say like half of the year I want to be in some place and half of the year I want to be in another place. So without further ado, because I can go on <laughs> announcing our guest for today, probably another hour, but without further ado, 
Welcome to the social carnivals. Gip, welcome. Well, good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Awesome. So, Diego, I, I'm not sure you want to go first, but I do want to start off with a bang straight away. And what would be like the one piece of advice that you would give to all young people below the ages of 40? That's something that we don't resonate with yet or don't fully understand about life, which you feel is, is important for people to know. I think it's important to know how much op opportunity is in, out in the world and so many places. And if you're in a bad place, get rid of those friends and find some good ones and, and get on with life because there's so much going on that's positive and available and, and uh, you can look forward to. So basically what you're saying is, you know, change your surroundings, change your perspectives. If it's not, if it's not going well for you, yes. By all means, that's what needs to happen. And you've been through, I'd say, many cycles. If we're talking about business cycles, if we're talking about economic cycles, but just life cycles. <laughs> Over the years, like how many times and how have you, I guess, recentered yourself when you've come up with challenges and, and finding opportunities? Like how have you done that over the course of your lifetime? Well, I always picture myself walking down a road. And I always say, okay, so here's where I am. There's where I want to be. And the next question is, how am I going to get there? Right? Because, I mean, I, 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 you, you may not have read it, but when I was in my early 20s, I had a total breakdown, shutdown, closeout. Never knew if I was going to recover or not. And I started swimming every day. I started walking every day. I started doing exercise. I learned how to breathe again. I hadn't breathed probably for years, <laughs> trying to get up the corporate ladder. And so that was probably, well, that was the lowest point. I've had some lows since then, but that was the lowest point. And I was, I was 25 or 26. And well, you, you had to worry about not coming out of it. That's all I can tell you. And it was, and it took months. It literally took months. But the corporation I'd worked for figured out who I was and used me for everything I was worth. <laughs> so, so then you just keep trying to go. So it's interesting because yes, and, and I think you experienced probably a burnout before the word burnout was even considered the worst. I think that's true. <laughs> but, that's true. but you mentioned breeding, and this is something that. Personally, for me, I'm, I'm at the stage of my life where I'm going towards 40. I'm kind of trying to find a balance between things I like to do and things people pressure me to do. And oh, yeah. I'm yeah. one of my biggest worries is actually not being able to breathe properly. So when you talk about relearning re how to breathe, for, for people that are not aware of what you're talking about, could you like surely explain how, how that process was. Well, what I found out, what I finally figured out is when I was playing basketball, and that's how I paid for my higher education, but we, when I was young, it was just, oh, this is fun. I figured out that right about the time I was a sophomore in high school, I started holding my breath when I was shooting free throws. And sometimes when there was a timeout, I 
stand in the huddle and I'd be thinking things over and I'd be holding my breath. And it just got worse and worse, right? It, the, anytime I got in a stressful situation, rather than breathing more than normal, I breathed much less than normal. And to the point where it really ended up hurting me. So when things look bad, you just take, just take another deep breath and you'll be fine. Just breathe. Just breathe. So that's when I learned. And then you were in the corporate system, but you have I've seen many, was. you've seen many different kind of jobs. And, and what, if you look back now throughout your, your career, what was the job that you looked back towards the most that you were like, this was, this was definitely one of the most fun experiences in my life. Well, I have to tell you that I never liked working for somebody. I, I've been, and I retired at 50 my first time. I've retired, retired twice and almost a third time and finally decided it just wasn't for me. I'm having too much fun. So I, I, the minute I walked out the corporate door and I was working for myself, I mean, that's what I really enjoyed and still do. I mean, I get in trouble for working too much already, still, or whatever you want to say. The best job I ever had, I was the economist for the state of Oregon. And I was in northeastern Oregon all by myself, trying to help with economic development, trying to do numbers on the economy, how many people were employed, how many we're out of work and things like that. I, I testified in, in lawsuits. I mean, it was a very well-rounded job. And then, then my next job put me in the top 3% of state government, and I was in the director's office of the Department of Human Services, which was a real high-profile job. And then not too long later, after I left the director's office, I was running a budget office. I'm sorry I'm telling you too much, but you, you get, got to get the story. Yeah, we got to get the full story, lad. Of course, no, context is important. So, so I went out and I was running a budget department, and I got fired. Now, I really didn't get fired technically because there was a massive layoff, and I was the one chosen. But it really worked out well for me because the very next thing that happened to me is I started negotiating contracts with defense attorneys, and that taught me a little bit about a negotiating. And, and so the, that capsule, that, um, what would it have been? Seven-year period, six, seven-year period, maybe eight, comprises a whole roller coaster, but it put me in both ends of it, put me in great situations that have fueled my life after, after work. There's the story. It's so... Gotta tell you. So you've had quite a, like, I'd say active youth doing basketball, sports, active lifestyle. You're also taking a step back to, you know, when you need to recenter yourself, walk. And you've also served in the military. And like, what's one thing from that service took away and you basically apply? Like that, that requires a lot of discipline. I, I, I mean, I can only imagine that, but like, what's something you say? Oh, this is underappreciated, and that everyone should at least serve. You hit my you hit my morning talk to myself yesterday. Okay, so I'm I'm ready to write a short story, you know, short article about the healthiest breakfast you can have in eight minutes. Okay, so I I 
put the I put the oatmeal in the microwave. Turn on two minutes. Do two minutes of stretches. Goes off. I hit it for two more. I stir it. Hit it for two more minutes. Do two minutes of push-ups. And it goes off. I stir it. I put two more minutes in. I do two minutes of uh, squats. It goes off. I open the door so it can cool off. And I go out and I do a hundred high knees. And then I come back and eat my breakfast. You couldn't have a healthier breakfast. Wow. <laughs> Seriously. I, I was not expecting that. It's <laughs> just like right there. That's and, very and confronting, I, to be honest. And I owe that to the military. I learned that in the mornings that when I was an enlistment, the drill instructor would come in before chow and say, get out here, guys, get your bunks made, get out here. And we'd go out and... That's almost what we do, except for I didn't have to steer the cereal. <laughs> We're good. I think that's something you should definitely try in my routine, an eight-minute breakfast. <laughs> that's just an awesome, awesome idea. So, okay, so again, before we go into, because yeah, one of the things we're definitely going to discuss is your, your book, which is kind of an eye-opener for especially people who want to get the most out of their life. Also, trying and, and taking effort. So, but before we kind of dive into the book, there is one person that you uh, given a, a shout out to, and that's Mr. David Eastman. And, oh, yeah. and, and you're actually saying like, hey, big part of my success, or at least the foundation towards my success was, was laid by, by him. And you talk a little bit about, about graduating college and I think one of the things is that in current society, being a dropout is kind of being like popularized, but without taking into perspective that like people that are being popularized for being dropouts drop out of the highest possible tier of universities where most people can <laughs> actually not get into if they wanted to. So it's, it's kind of a, 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 kind of a misconception. And you don't talk specifically about that, but you talk about also having him kind of as, as a support to actually going through college and going through life. So in, in short, what, what did David Eastwood kind of do for you that, that you do feel like you should share with the world as well? Well, I, I was, I was not a very good student. I think I, I, before they made it popular, I think I just had too much energy going in the right places and the wrong places. Well, no wrong places, mind you, but the right places and doing way too many things. And I couldn't read. I didn't know until I was 35 that I didn't read well. But I had a doctor tell me, you don't know how to read. I told him everything I had accomplished to that point because I was pretty, pretty full of myself. And he said, I don't care what you've accomplished. You can't read. So... At any rate, he, he fixed it up so that, that I, I now read every chance I get. So that doctor served me well. And, and I, I now have prisms in my eyes, in my glasses, because I'm no longer young enough to force my eyes to focus. But I learned a lot there. David Eastman came to the university when I started my senior year. And I, I had to finish a year of Spanish. Okay. And uh, so I, I got through the first term, and I knew I, there was no way anybody with a reasonable mind would give me a grade to get through the second term, and I needed it to graduate. So first, it, and this is not stuff I normally do. I, there's like three times in my life 
that I've done things that it's not at first normal, okay? So I, I grew up in a Catholic military family, and you did what you were told. I mean, that's, that's the answer. So I was still there mentally. But for some reason, I decided this guy seems to be pretty nice. I need to go talk to him. So I sat down and I talked to him. I says, I, I will not be able to make it through the, the, the school year and, and get anything other than an F. And I know that. And it's not for lack of effort. It's just I don't hear Spanish. He said, you come to the off my office for an hour, two days a week, and we will study together. And at the end of the term, if you, if you have fulfilled that requirement, I'll give you a D. I got my D and I graduated and I got into the next phase of my life. And I was very fortunate. I mean, that if they had held me around for another year or so, I might not have finished and I needed to finish. And having finished is, has treated me quite well. I didn't know it at the time, but it's opened lots of doors for me that otherwise wouldn't have been as open. They might have still had a crack at them, right? But they, they were, the door was open. So. At any rate, so that's David Eastman. And I would love to have him listening to this cast and, and someday get to talk to him. I look for him probably once a year, maybe even less often than that, like every nine months more often than that, I guess, just because I'd love to find him and to be able to thank him and tell him what, what a big impact. Now, here's a, here's a real quick follow-up on that. I was traveling in Spain with my girlfriend. A guy helped us find our Airbnb. The next day, we're walking down the main street of the town in Spain, Granada, and I see the guy that helped us find our hotel, our Airbnb. So I wanted to buy him a beer. So I, I asked him if I could buy him something, and he said yes, and we sat down at the table. And we car I carried on a conversation, or the three of us carried on a conversation for over 30 minutes where I asked the question, because I knew Spanish, he gave the answer. I couldn't hear it at all. She, she had one year of French. She heard it and told me what the answer was. I'd ask him the next question. And we went for over half an hour. So I, I, you know, I, I did have something. <laughs> no, it is quite... It was a good half. That's quite interesting. Yeah, it, was a good half it, it just goes to yeah. show like how one person being in the right place at the right time can have a quite minimal impact long term. Oh. Oh, and it's, yes. it's, it's just a small thing in the moment, maybe. And once you look back, it just compounded the, the, the efforts compounded over time. Oh, it does. Yeah. Bigger and bigger. Yeah. Very much. Fortunate guy. Interesting. That's me. So now you've done. I, I'm actually curious. Like, what? What could you elaborate on? Not being able to read. I'm trying to imagine what that must be like. Like, you said until your 35th. The, the, uh, yeah, I was almost 35. 35. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Like, yeah. How, how how do you go through like one third of your life, or, or half of your life, and then? Not have that realization. Oh, like. oh yeah, and, and then and then get to, and then wow, okay, you know, I gotta read all the time. Well, I should have probably known it. 
much earlier on because I know like in the fourth and fifth grade, I would read words backwards. Okay, like instead of dog, it would be God. So is it kind of something similar to dyslexia or? That's correct. That's that's correct. Then not only that, but my eyes see at two different levels. So the left eye is seeing two lines above the right line. So you can imagine how disruptive that oh, is. Wow. And so when I was tired, would that would be the end of my reading. When I was not tired, they the four the eyes would be forced in the right direction and I could read for ten or fifteen minutes. Then I'd end up with a massive headache and, and that would be the end of the reading for the day. So that's just the way it was. And I didn't realize that something needed to happen. Wow. And that must have been quite a challenge to overcome. And I guess once you fix it, what's the first book that comes to mind that you kind of like enjoyed reading after, you know, after that period? Well, I, I know one of the first ones I read was Think and Grow Rich. I mean, that was just had a great impact on me. But um, I started with some pretty easy, easy stuff. Like I, I went back and I read a couple Hardy Boys, and uh, so, so I mean, I, I thought that that'd be a fitting thing to do. Let's read some of this stuff you never had a chance to. So that's that's awesome. <laughs> Because I mean, kind of need the entertainment purpose as well, a little bit. I, I was, I was wondering indeed when I, of course, read the title of your book, I was already thinking like, is there inspiration? Of course, it's, it's kind of different. I think your approach to your book was, was very different from Napoleon Hill, for instance. But okay. uh, I do see some similarities in the sense of you're trying to help people to understand that. They do have options. Where I do think there's a massive difference is that you also will go towards qualities. And now I know we, we can't just fully discuss the book, but one of the things that you kind of mentioned is having certain qualities to kind of jumpstart your career. And for me, I'm not sure if you should see that as like a, a quick win or like something that you can quickly acquire or that these are more skills towards who you are as a person. So looking much more towards yourself, your personal DNA and figuring out like, hey, these are the qualities that can help me succeed in life. So if, if people are like struggling, they're in a, in a downfall, like you were mentioning like mid-20s and you're kind of, you feel like you're at the worst place in your life at the moment. Like what, what are like skills or things that can help you get, get out of that? Well, I've already mentioned the fact that if you're surrounded by people that are telling you no or or a bad influence on you, you got to get away from them. I don't know how you get away from them. It can't be easy. Okay, I, I'm I'm certain of that. But you got to you got to move up in the world, and you got to be associating with people that where you want to be, not not where you are. Okay, so and just a brighter outlook on life. It's tough to have a bright outlook on life right now. I mean. Just everything, or everything, at least everything we're told, right? You're not, to we're not told the great things some of the people are doing, right? We're mostly told what the bad people are doing, or what's bad about the world, or how things are going horrible. It's like, uh, it just, I, I, I did not read the news 
for a zillion years. Well, first of all, I couldn't at the beginning. That's fine. And then, then I just decided, you know, there was too much negative in the news. So for probably 20 years, I didn't read the, read the news because if I listened to them, <laughs> I'd be too damn depressed to go to work. <laughs> so so I, just, I just stayed away from that stuff. So basically, we think it's it's something new that it's so negative, but this has been going on for decades now. That that the mainstream. Oh news yes, is, it's just been getting worse. Yeah, it's it's just been amplified. getting worse and worse. Yeah, it's just been getting worse and worse. Don't know. Must be what people like to hear, but not me. Cool. And then, I'm ready to keep moving. And the second thing I want to talk about before we also talk a little bit about like the process of of writing a book is. You also mentioned realizing when there are certain opportunities. So I'm going to do a quick, quick segue. My, one of my favorite authors, authors is Quillo. Paulo Quillo is a Brazilian author. And there are a lot of books that are very well known. And one of them is the, called The Alchemist. And for me, when I read The Alchemist, I, I wasn't a big fan of books in high school. I would choose the books for my English class that I know had a summary on the internet somewhere that I could download and kind of read to. And only after I finished high school, I found Paul Aquilo and his books. And The Alchemist was one of the first books that I read from, from cover to cover it like within a week. And there are certain things that you learn from the book. And so I resonate with the book a lot because in some cases, you go forward. So this is actually in the book that he moves on from his love of his life and then actually goes back together, which is kind of what I did in real life as well. And the reason I mentioned that is because I don't always recognize opportunities, but Paulo Coelho has helped me a lot with recognizing opportunities in my life, like seeing certain signs, like this is something I probably shouldn't do because I'm getting a lot of signs that this isn't the right moment. Or this is probably something that I should do because everything is screaming at me, take this opportunity, take this opportunity, take this opportunity. And I'm wondering what your perspective on, on that is, is in getting signs or getting into certain situations that you're like, okay, I feel like I should do this and how that thought process is, is for someone like yourself. Oh, I, th- I think... So much is where you are at the moment, and is this furthering what you want to get be in or or go to? Most of the things that have come to me, you know, I've had I've had tremendous opportunities. Let me tell you, I, I, I had I've had at least three where I can't say someone. Well, maybe I should say someone smarter than me because there are. Awful lot of people smarter. I know that could have taken much better advantage of, but uh, some of them I tried. Some of them I didn't try because it was either a good time for my kids or it was not a good time or whatever as we were going through life, right? But because because you just to take an opportunity and destroy your life is not a good idea. <laughs> There's a lot of reasons to take a good opportunity. That's probably not the best one. Most often, opportunities involves taking a step up. One way or the other, step up. And if people bring you in the room 
and they tell you this great opportunity and they say, but you have to be an intern and not take any money for the next six months. That's probably not the opportunity. If the person wants to abuse you that much, that's probably not the opportunity that you should be thinking about. I mean, I've seen so many people run into that kind of situation. I ran into it at least once. And it's like, no, I don't think so. I, yeah, I got this lifestyle. I'm supposed to put bread on the table and a roof over my kid's head. And, and that's just not the right opportunity for me. So that's one, one trick I've seen that people try and sell an opportunity that is not in my, in my view. Now I, you can get some actors probably is tell me that was the way they got into some, some studio or something. And everybody has their own trip. This is. Well, this is, we get one and this is it. And we got to do the best we can with it. So just beware of charlatans. You don't want to get involved. Again, you want to deal with people that just a little bit going the right way better than you are and learn from them. See what, ask them questions and see what, what they've tripped over. Just, does that answer your question? Is that fair? I think it, there's an answer. I want to dive into that because. I have a similar thing with quite in the opposite direction. I think you mentioned it in the last part. Like, I would take that opportunity, and I have to be honest, I wouldn't take that opportunity now. Like, where I'm currently at in my life, if somebody would ask me to take a pay cut for something, I would be like, okay, but there are many other opportunities for me at the moment. Whereas as a student, <laughs> as a student, and I would have, and I would be working for somebody that I really, really look up to, and I wanted to learn from that. I would take, I would take the interest. Oh yeah. So when you're a student, yeah. it's a whole different. Ballpark. But when you're like committed and you're already kind of a, a respected professional in your field, yeah, that's that's when I would say definitely I wouldn't, I wouldn't jump up the at the opportunity because there are there are better opportunities for myself. Yeah. I bet. I, I, no doubt in my mind. For both of I you. I think in that case, it's like a trade-off, right? When you're a student, there's not much, if, if you look at it in two skills, there's not much in the one skills yet to, you know, balance out, the, to offset the risk of the opportunity. That's right. You got but it. as you, as in your career, there's more added to this side of the scale, like your, your family, your, your job. So that trade-off kind of plays a role in, would you take the same opportunity at that stage in your life or not? So it's, it's, I think it's a balancing game and it comes with risk management. And as we've talked with Gip and Gip is, you know, has also seen many types of growth and investments from real estate to franchising and to recently starting quite a few businesses in the internet space. We'll, we'll get that in a bit later. But how has, you know, going from corporate and taking that step to developing and investing for yourself, how did that switch happen? And how did you, I say, I'd say grab the reins of that opportunity? Well, okay. So I was all facilitated by real estate. Okay. By the time I hit 50, when I retired, I had, I could, I use a pencil all the time. I had a pencil and I could figure out exactly how I replaced my income if I walked out the door. So I walked straight across because the real estate had matured that much. I started seeing, starting to give you some, some stuff, the, the ancient history here. 
I started in 1977. I bought my first. Okay, so by the time two years before I left, when I hit 48, I had made my first million. By the time I was 51, I had two million. Okay, so having the cash flow from $2 million worth of real estate gave me enough to replace my day job. So, and then five years later, my retirement kicked in. So that's new money, right? Let's go play another game, right? Just get into it. So that that's how that happened. I just started very early. I didn't know at the time in 1977, I never knew if I was ever going to be able to make any money at all. I didn't know. I was just coming off the breakdown that I told you about, just coming off that. And my wife at that time received a significant bonus. And we looked at that bonus and we knew we had to pay almost all of it to the federal government or we had to figure out something to do. So we went out and we bought a 14-unit apartment complex and used that money as part of the down payment. And we did not pay taxes for 20-some years after that. Okay? So just it was the opportunity to either hand the money to somebody to spend or take it and spend it on yourself and take a risk. Well, we didn't have anything to risk. Neither one of us had ever grown up with any money. Okay, my, my ex-wife was a farm girl. They always worried whether the crops were going to come in. That's how her parents taught her, right? My parents, just my father, just kept getting better and better jobs. By the time I was out of college, he was making some really reasonable money. But before that, I mean, when I was a kid, okay, I did not walk both ways in snow to school ever. I don't want you to believe that because that didn't happen. But we didn't have a lot of money, so so be it. Then, so the choice was between something and nothing, right? So basically, that's scale that again, time, right? You know? There's one of your opportunities. Yeah. So, but but like, how, like, like, and this is an interesting thing because, and I I always say like, a lot of people if they see my opportunities and they would do the exact same same things that I'm doing they won't be able to replicate it because I'm a second generation or for some third generation entrepreneur. So my whole life, I've been lectured on everything when it comes to entrepreneurship, like from how to treat your employees, on how to do with pensions, on how to invest, like on how to minimize your taxes in a legal way to all these kind of things, right? And right. even if I don't listen to my dad all the time, there's a certain advantage that I have. But I, for instance, have no idea how the U.S. tax system works for, and, and the federal system works, for instance, aside from reading about it online. So my question <laughs> would always be like, for people in general, how do you find out this information? Like, who tells you that, hey, listen, you can pay it all back to the feds or you can do a down payment for the house and kind of leverage that money in that way? Who tells you these things? And like, I understand where you're going to go with this. Be surrounded by the right people. But like, who, who are the people that, that can explain these life lessons to you without, before the internet was as popular as it is now? 
Oh, yeah. Are we lucky with the internet? I mean, you, you could find most of these answers. But also more now. noise. Oh, well, that's very true. And and I'm just really, okay, so my life used to be Word, Excel, email. <laughs> that's where I was. Okay, so now all of a sudden I got all these other things coming at me and I'm starting to see some of the misinformation. It's like, oh my goodness, people put up with this. How <laughs> do they do it? So, well, I'm trying to figure out how to knock that out of my life. But I'm lucky to have three kids that all came up in the right era to be trained really well uh, on the internet and computer science. I got a computer programming engineer. I've got a satellite engineer. <laughs> I'm pretty lucky. So when I have a problem, I know exactly where I'm going. <laughs> I sent it out to all three kids and say, give me an answer, please help. So. But I have to ask a question. Sorry for interrupting, but no, when sorry. did you get your first email address? Do you remember in what year you got your first email address? That'd be interesting. It would have to be, so my firstborn was born in 80. I would say, let's see, give me a second. Probably, would it have been as early as 85? Yeah, yeah. It I mean, I know been. I was using Yeah. I know I was using a one of those brick cell phones. Have you seen pictures of the yeah. brick cell phones? Okay. I was using the brick cell phone about then. I know I had already had a computer, had I? That's a lie. First computer I remember was when I re went into the director's office of human services. And that was April of 80, May of 80. It was a big K-Pro that is like six inches thick and half again as wide as the, the keyboard that I'm sitting in front of right now. And so that'd be height and width and, and depth is half again the depth. And you'd lug that sucker home. Oh, crap. <laughs> and the screen would be completely yeah. black, like... That's like right. Completely that, black with letters. You're starting with nothing. <laughs> you're starting with nothing. So how do you make a mathematical formula? Well, let's look at this. Let's see what happens. So, and I had just been working with a mainframe computer that filled, well, every bit of my ground floor of my house. And it did the same amount of work as this machine here can do right. So I, what? And that's true. Yeah, I, I just wanted to get that story out because it, it, yeah. you're, and I have to compliment you on that, that you're very, very well tech savvy, that you're able to do these things, but also learn all these things. But I now understand that you got into the technology of Final from a very early, for an early time. because Early adopter. Yeah, yeah very, very early adopter. But I just the thought of having to explain to my children that you would start up a computer and the screen would be black and you would have to tell the computer by word to say like, you have to do this function now. For them, it's kind of insane, of course. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Yeah. Oh yeah, hand them a rotary phone. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I just, yeah, rotary phone. Uh, the television that you would have to turn the knob, I think was, was one of oh, the yeah. things as well. That, that we definitely take for, for granted now. Now we complain if, if they enter the internet lags and they can't log into Netflix. <laughs> what a difference. 
or party lines. Were either of you ever on a party line? I have no idea what that is. That's, that's new. That's two, two, two households. Explain it to us. Two households would be sharing the same line. No. So the way that they brought it in. And so oh, if so I made a phone call over here, neighbor, my neighbor could listen to it. Oh, wow. <laughs> we, could, we could talk to each other without dialing. Yeah. It's like okay. yeah, that's a foreign yeah, concept. I think, I think it's still around, but not in a legal sense, though. <laughs> yeah, probably not. So we had we had one of the first dial-up systems that I remember, but that was already mid nineties, where we would lo- we would dial we had dial-up internet, and then if somebody would call or interrupt, the, yeah, then the if somebody would call, it would just... it would interrupt the internet connection, and it was the awfulest thing because I was downloading a file. Of 40 KB, like a 40 KB. I'm not talking megabytes. I'm not taking gigabytes. I'm talking kilobytes. I was downloading a file of 40 KB and my mom took up the phone to call and I had to re download that whole thing. No. Yep. But coming back to basically your timeline, I'm happy you also gave us that timeline. You started early, took a risk with your then wife to go into real estate. And 20 plus years, basically having the patience and just, you know, conviction and waiting that out and just, you know, living your normal day-to-day life at Oregon State. And then as you were nearing retirement, near 50, basically that early investment, like 20 plus years earlier, kind of matured into finally getting some cash flow. And now you're basically post 50 started to and using that early cash flow to go into different businesses. So how did you then pivot from after your retirement and having this cash flow from early on? How did you pivot that into more opportunities, identifying businesses, identifying franchises? Like how did you build that over time then? Okay. So, so this was all happening right at the end of my working for someone else. Like 48, 49, I hit a million. Then a friend of mine was a, is, is, is a retired dentist now, but he was an active dentist. And he and I were having lunch one day and he said, you know, he said, you're going to retire soon. Would you help find me a larger office to rent? You've been in real estate a long time. I said, okay, I'll look for you. So I looked for, for a while. And in those days, Dentists put out a lot of smells from their chemicals, and they weren't real welcome in a regular building, right? And so eventually, we five years later, because he had to sign his lease extension, right? He was going home, and he went a different way because he had been called off to see something. And uh, there was a vacant lot. He said, this is a great location. Why don't we buy the lot? So we tried to buy the lot and eventually negotiated what I thought was a good deal, what the real estate agent thought we paid too much, blah, 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 blah. And then we went out and d- tried to find a developer because somebody has to develop a building. So on the way back to my friend's office, the third after interviewing the third developer, he says, I want you to develop this thing. I said, who, me? He said, yeah. He said, you have all the requests. You know, you, you do the math all the time. I see you doing it. We talk about the math all the time. And you've negotiated contracts with defense attorneys for seven years. So you know how to negotiate and you're going to keep the costs down. 
Well, everybody else just wants to get it higher so they can get their 6%. He says, it's no brainer for me. I said, well, it took me a while. It took me a couple of days because I wasn't so sure this was a good idea. And so finally I said to him, I said, okay, let us figure out a backup plan in case I'm a failure, right? So we'll pay, so we identified the the one we wanted to deal with if I really screwed things up. And I became the developer. So I developed a lot. We picked a guy I knew for a while. I knew his wife much better. She and I served on a church committee together, but he ended up getting the contract to build the building. And be- before it was finished, we had gone out to, to breakfast with the dentist's friend who had done quite well in real estate. We were sitting there talking with him and he says, near the end of the meal, he says, you, do you know what makes, makes a pretty building in real estate? We both fell for it, hook, line, and sinker. And he says, it's one that pays for itself. Just think of that. She's got to pay for itself. Doesn't matter how it does it. She's got to pay for itself. And uh, the other thing he said, he said, if, you, if, you, if you're fortunate enough, what you want to do is hit a home run the first time, and then you can do doubles and triples. And I mean, I've even had a bunt, bunt, single. <laughs> This thing took still time. Took, took, it took ten years to pay off, pay for it. So, and and now it's just flowing in cash. It's like, okay, send money home. But I had to baby that sucker for ten years. It, it it broke even all the time. But it was like, okay, we gotta get through this. And then all of a sudden, it was in great demand, and people were breaking down the doors. Oh, okay, we're in the right place. So it it just again, it's. Just taking the next step, looking around, trying to make sure things are working, and then take the next step after that. It's my story. I'm sticking with it. No, the, the, the one thing I keep hearing is these long time horizons, seven, eight years in negotiation, 20 years in early real estate, 10 years for this plot to be developed and actually break even. So that's the recurring theme I'm seeing, like these long time <laughs> horizons. And if you look now at what people, they want to get rich like two, three years maybe, and then, you know, go retire on some island or maybe go somewhere. <laughs> so this just goes to show, you know, that patience and commitment and, you know, you, you got to take care of it. And that's when it's going to pay off. And ha- have there been, I'd say, opportunities that kind of misfire in the sense like, you know, you you, you had to caught it early and you said, look, there's no hope in salvaging this or like nurturing it to its maturity. When I turned 70, I said to myself, I want to buy a business a year until I'm 80. Because the first one, I was sitting in a coffee shop with a heating and ventilation salesperson. And we talked and I gave him information so he'd get on the roofs and give me a bid. But then I said to him, I said, you know, he seemed like a really nice kid. I said to him, what do you want to do with your life? He says, well, I've been the top salesman in the greater Portland area for three out of the last four years. I said, well, that's pretty good. Do you want us to do sales the rest of your life? He says, no, what I really want to do is I want, I want to own my own heating and ventilation company. I said, what's keeping you from doing that? He said, well, nobody has any money. And I turned to him and said, you have $100,000 now. Let's go find a business. So we went out and found a business. This is the first year, right? 
talk about hitting home runs the first year, right? At any rate, he and I reviewed three different businesses and turned them all down. The fourth one looked good enough to try it. We put $100,000 down on a $400,000 business. And I was talking to him yesterday, and he, he thinks we're going to hit $3.5 this year. So that was the first one. So the second one was a neighborhood newspaper that I thought just was so enjoyable that surely people would enjoy this. Had a good, down here in Palm Springs, it's one of the most popular newspapers in town. So I had that as background. And so I kind of fell for that one and I took it in and I worked it for three years. In March of 20. 2020, March of 2020, my numbers said it's going to break even. And COVID hit. Half my advertisers called in and canceled their ads. So by May, I shut it down, refunded the money to the people that had paid in advance because I didn't want them to get hurt, and away from it. So that's, wow. that's that. Then last year, I... Last year, I bought three internet businesses. So, all right, that's my story. So you were like, okay, I, I, had, I had one bad situation. I'm going to up the ante and buy three companies now instead of just one. <laughs> well, that's just, just worked that way. So, awesome. That's okay. So I, now I have to ask the question, of course, at what point, at what, where in the life cycle did the idea come up? I'm going to write a book. Was it something that was there kind of lingering for years as well? Or was this something that you were like, I'm just going to do this and I'm going to get this done within a certain amount of time? It was there for a long time. My children had been bothering me. How'd you do this? And how did you do that? And when did that happen? And what was this all about? So I wrote it down and it was sitting there. It had been sitting there probably eight years. And ended up talking to a person about getting it printed and uh, said, yeah, okay, it is time because I've been thinking about it for the last couple of years and it's, it's been bubbling up more and more. And I want to get this thing printed. So let's do it. And that was the start. And so I sat down and refined it a little bit here or there and made sure that it had some flow and got to the point where I needed a, a person to review it, to look over my shoulder. And I, I got someone who just really understood what I was trying to say. And I think she did just a phenomenal job of putting the, the business, putting the book together. She made the book. Uh, you, you wouldn't recognize it, but says all the same things, just a whole lot better. Just She cut parts out of this chapter and put it over here in this chapter. And she did all sorts of things. And I, I couldn't appreciate her more. So that's what made it happen. The magic of editing. And that this is just yeah. another, another, I'm going to repeat this, eight years of time horizon spent on developing the <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> True. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Here's, here, here's the one you're really going to like. Okay. So I'm sitting here working and it was 
Sunday. So today's Tuesday. Okay, so Sunday I'm sitting here working, and I'm trying to figure something else because really I'm I'm around 15 million now, and I really want to get to 100. I mean, I I I want to be worth 100 million. Okay, so and so I was I was just trying to figure that out, and then I did a pencil. I said, okay, if if I was worth two million at fifty-two, and then at sixty-eight I was worth thirty million. What's that mean? So that means twenty-eight divided by whatever the number is, and you guys are faster probably than I am now, but I knew the number. It was like twenty-eight, twenty-eight million over eighteen years or something like that. It came out to one point three million. I said, hell, I'm trying to be making a million dollars a year. I'm at Something like six hundred thousand now, a year. But I, I made one point three million dollars over a year over an eighteen year period. That's pretty damn good. I feel pretty good about that. So my ex wife, who is still my, she she takes care of the books on all the businesses. I mean, we're really good friends. I I don't check her any often than more often than I used to. So she says to me, she says. She says, well, you kept saying the only reason you were finishing that was to keep keep promises to the people that invested in you. And I said, yeah, well, that's true, too. And she said, so that means that only when you finished did you make all that money. <laughs> I said, yeah, I know that. Don't, don't, don't bother me with realities. I just knew I made a million three a year for 18 years. I had this husband. So did better than I thought I had. But I, I don't well, keep it's, everybody I mean, it's, whole. It's, it's really, it's, it's pretty in, in, impressive. And I have to be honest that I really don't, and, and that's probably my situation where I've been in quite some time. I really don't care that much about, about that worth that money. And I'm only now, now getting to a point that I feel like, but money is time and I don't have enough time. So that's right. And and this is like the worst situation which I never realized in life is that when you become more scarce, scarce, you get more wanted. So the more I say sure. like I don't have time, the more people are like, yeah, but I, I need you, I want you. And it's it's for me it's a whole new learning process to, to accept that. I'm sure. But now I have. So now you have to parse yeah. it, right? You, you, you have to parse have it. Ten to twenty more years to go, shall look. No, no, <laughs> it's, it's like very confronting. But I, I hear you mention your ex-wife and your and your girlfriend. So I have to, I have to put in one more question. What does a tremendous life partner with capital I T, capital S T? What does a tremendous life partner? Well, the flow is so easy. Just easy, easy. She actually, I lived at an address in Portland for probably a four-year period, maybe. And she actually lived two blocks away from me. I didn't know that I, until I met her. I, and our, our relationship just flows. We've been together 11 years. I think I got my nose out of joint once in 11 years. That's not too bad, you know. I mean, you couldn't ask for things to be much better than that. And so just, just feeling fortunate. Getting, getting all the right. I mean, really, we just see so much alike. 
and buy the same things. And how much overlooked? And we usually do over unders for this, but I just have to ask the question as well about like the importance of family and father daughter relationship, father father son relationship. Like how important is like being in touch with your family and and being in, in good having a good relationship with with your children, especially at an at an older age. How important is, is that in life? Fun, fun, fun. That's all I can tell you. I have so much fun. Okay. My middle kid's a satellite engineer, and he just went to the International Satellite Convention in Washington, D.C. It happens every year. And we got off the phone his last day. I I called him finally because he hadn't called me because he usually calls me. (laughs) But he's there. So we talked about all the people that he and I knew, the new people he met, Everything he learned while he was at the convention. Conventions can be very valuable. Some, some not so, but when you get into a good sized convention and can make enough introductions, that's where it starts. You end up making friends over years and they're the ones that are going to tell you if you're taking the wrong step or there's this great opportunity and you go for it. What was the first great opportunity? Oh, I know the great opportunity my son got. He was talking to a convention. Guy he met at the convention. And the guy says, why don't you apply for this job in Seattle, Washington? And he got it. He worked for Paul Allen for almost 15 years. And Paul Allen, Microsoft, right? Paul Allen, Bill Gates. He worked for Palo Palo and had a tremendous job there and learned a lot. And he went, and now he's, he's working for a company that's financed mostly by the big guns in Seattle. And just opportunity after opportunity. So just, there's a, there's another place where you pick up those opportunities, John. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That's what I keep saying. Yes. I mean, yes. It's, it's easy how, how much, how like you can go, get into this flow of everything just going smoothly without having to like struggle and fighting against the grain when it's already possible to go in, in, into the stream. Interesting. But, but that's the fundamental thing, right? Even opportunity comp- compounds that getting, getting oh, the yes. first opportunity is usually the hardest. Yes. And once that ball gets rolling, it, it just compounds and then you get that's the right. scarcity demand of your time. That's right. Yeah. But yeah, we appreciate you spending an hour with you. This was truly inspiring to, you know, hear this lifelong journey and that you still have the ambitious goals and Wanting to buy a business, minimal a business a year for till you're eighty. That's just tremendous. We had someone tune in as well, so inspiring to hear your life story, and he he loved the the things you shared. So appreciate that. I don't think we have time for over honors. We're quite over time already, so we're gonna leave it at that. But your story, just the story in itself, was underrated. I would say. <laughs> Yeah, it was. Thank you very it, much. It was definitely. Thanks for having it was, me. Guys. It was definitely, as always, uh, Gip, thank you so much again for being our guest. As always, this episode will be uploaded on all streaming platforms and you'll be able to watch it on confos.com as well. And we'll, YouTube podcast now. And YouTube, YouTube podcast. So we're going to get into that. We're going to introduce Gip into that world as well after this episode. And we want to thank you for everybody who tuned in live, but also listening to this recording or this podcast later on a later date. 
Thank you so much for tuning in. And we'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Social Conference. Bye-bye.